technical tryout. Mm -hmm. Yes, we're now recording, it looks like. Uh, yes, so we're back. Uh, now I have this irritating menu on the side, which I don't want. But, um, <laughs> right, so it was a. So we are currently discussing the caretaker parts one and two. Wow, listening to all those podcasts really paid off. Um, <laughs> and and I, I made a couple of notes and I've kind of got them in chronological order. Mm -hmm. um, but what do you think, I guess, of the opening scene before the credits or before the opening sequence? We're in the like the Bucky ship and mm. so I, I really sort of loved it. It kind of sorry, uh, it sort of throws you immediately into it. It has that sort of Star Wars intro of the text of this is the universe and this is all you're going to find out about the universe. Bang, chase, and you're sort of immediately dumped into it and emotionally sort of gripped, which I really, really like. Even if I was a bit like, this is a bit of a Star Wars opening, uh, <laughs> um, which is possibly a bad comparison to draw on a Star Trek podcast and again the lynch mob will come for me at some stage or other um but i sort of liked how that introduced it if that makes any sense yeah and then to go yeah. from there to a sort of more relaxed and like not so high drama tension but still quite high narrative tension with the scene with tom paris being approached yeah. for the first time uh, i thought was quite a nice contrast i don't know yeah, um, I mean, my, my favorite part of the intro is at minute one when we see Tubuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was definitely one of my favorite characters when I was a kid or teenager and still is. Hmm. Um, but uh, I'll talk more about that later because when he meets Neelix. Anyway, um, uh, I, yeah, but I, what do you think about the theme tune? Because I think Star Trek is the one series, or Voyager, I should say, is the one series I watch of all TV that I never skip the theme tune intro thing. Mm. I always let it play. Yeah, I mean, I, I must say that's the first, the intro sequence, um, you know, I didn't feel I had a lot to say about, but I've, this the the musical in, yes. intro is, I've always thought fabulous. I, I love listening to that. I love the visuals that they had. Um, there's something sort of, you know, inspirational, adventurous, um, about the music. I don't know who the composer is, but it's... Oh, yeah, good question. I think it's beautiful. Do you, do you and it's it certainly... Sort of... I'm sorry, but it's, it's a huge improvement on some of... Some oh, of my God. I mean, I don't, want to get, I don't want to get negative, but it is... Yeah, because let's not throw shade this early in the podcast. Uh, there's another Star Trek series I try to watch, and I was like, this intro is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but do, do you find it, like, goes really big and majestic initially, but then there's a really sort of quiet and pe almost mm. peaceful and calm bit where you see the ship sort of going through some atmospheric stuff yeah, and it's sort of going true. like a mist over the hull. And I really like that bit as well. Yeah, that's true. I just find it very moving and all the, everything you said, Jenny, like uh, um, inspirational. And yes, I should probably find out who the composer is. This is not a podcast where we go into the actual actors and the behind the scenes. <laughs> this is just us <laughs> talking, but it's probably worth finding out the podcast. Good, um, I don't know any, about any of that. <laughs> I don't know any, yeah, no, any Star Trek trivia. <laughs> well, I'll try. As I said, it'll be a little. Did you know? Mm. Uh, but then I think we see Janeway. I love in New Zealand in the penal colony where mm. she's recruiting Paris, yeah. Tom Paris, and she's yeah. in the power pose. Did you notice? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, I mean, I don't think the power pose was a thing when they filmed this, but it became a thing a few years ago. And I was like, she's in the power pose. I want that must have been. <laughs> 
intentional in some way. <laughs> yeah, and, and like it, it's sort of quite stark because you don't sort of think of Star Trek and penal colonies. Yeah. Like, true. especially on this sort of, you know, incredible uh, utopian earth that has been built there. And it's always mm, a bit of a weird thing to have. Um, yeah. But the, you almost, you start like a, and at least this is what I observed with Tom Paris just through that, the length of the episode, you sort of start a redemption arc from him from that point as well, don't you? Well, yeah, he's pretty cheeky. I mean, I like the one line when he's like, well, then I guess I'm yours. <laughs> so he's like, he's yeah. very cheeky and sarcastic in this episode, but he, as you say, does start redeeming himself pretty pretty early on. Well, I mean, if cheek and sarcasm are things that need redemption from, then I'm absolutely in no trouble whatsoever. <laughs> Jenny, you've also watched Deep Space Nine because I've got to be honest, I'm pretty sure when I was a kid and this like occupation, Cardassian war, that probably all went over my head. But yeah, watching same. Deep Space Nine really made it like way more concrete when they were talking about this, these things and mm. understanding why these people are rebelling or outlaws or... Yeah, hmm. I did kind of join the dots, I must say, because I, I sort of missed that when I was growing up, Deep Space Nine. I can't, you know, I, I remember seeing like vague scenes, but I guess I never... It was never um, on or I never got into it. So re-watching it as an adult um, was quite interesting because yeah. it gives you that backstory, doesn't it? Yeah. And, that, and then you kind of can understand and you can have a bit more sympathy, I think, with Chakotay and Balana yeah. and everyone at the start and say, oh, well, yeah, I, think, I mean, if you're in that position, what, what would you do? For, for my benefit as a layperson, what have the Cardassians actually sort of done? Well, that is a good question. <laughs> <laughs> they base, they um, The Bajoran planet, they kind of like... They invaded like a part of space uh, mm-hmm. and were at war with the Bajorans. I mean, now I haven't watched Deep Space Nine in a while. But uh, to reach like a peace treaty, they negotiated this like tr- like a peace treaty with the Federation, which uh, Voyage is part of. But that involved mm. uh, handing over some planets and like in certain parts of space to the Cardassians where actually like humans and Bajorans or whatever lived. So obviously those people had to be relocated. Mm. And some of those people... Uh, didn't believe in this peace treaty or this relocation. And also, I mean, the Deep Space Nine goes into the whole what the Cardassians actually did as occupiers and, like, uh, invaders. Mm. Yeah. I guess you can kind of, um, like, well, you can liken it to all kinds of, like, real-world political situations. But the current one would be if, for example, now, um, in order to save many more lives in the future, there was a peace deal negotiated between Russia and Ukraine where Russia was given the, the areas that it's annexed um, yeah. mm. The people in those areas who are Ukrainian um, can understand if they refuse to accept that and keep fighting. Mm. Yeah, crazy like, that thirty years later, or whatever, we actually have a contemporary. Mm. Mm. Well, it's, it, it it feels like a sort of invader occupier dynamic. So it's it's yeah, it makes sense. I agree with you guys. Just from what little you've told me, and not knowing too much about who the Kardashians were. Don't worry, um, we can always do a podcast on Deep Space Nine <laughs> once we've got through seven series of <laughs> The Voyager. Um, Sorry, did I say Cardassians, not Kardashians? Uh, yeah, never mind. Good, I'm probably going to make right, a mistake, so. but yes, that okay. is really frustrating that they are now Kardashians. <laughs> we should have a disclaimer at the start of this that none of us are yeah. hardcore yeah, Trekkies. Need... We're going to get names wrong, we're going to get confused. And... I don't want to say it like I'm not a hardcore yeah. Trekkie, but I'm not like a detailed person <laughs> yeah. when it comes to this kind of stuff. That's it. That's the one. Same. Yeah. I will not um, judge myself on getting detail wrong. 
Yeah, don't because I'm sure like also my mind always goes blank in the moment. Like when I was watching the episode, I'm like, what character is that? What's his name? And it was like Neelix, and I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> um, yeah, it's the equivalent of loving a band, you know. Like you say, I love the Rolling yeah. Stones, but mm. there's always someone there who says, "Oh, really? So you know, what is every single album title they've ever?" to like the rolling stones but not know all their trivia oh. <laughs> i mean i've what? seen like, the killers four times and probably i only know like mr Brightside. like is, why... is what the name of one of this why why do obsessives have to make you know enjoying something good a competition oh jamie that's a whole other podcast all <laughs> <laughs> oh, right so we're not <laughs> answering that everyone wants to feel better than someone i don't know why um okay so the next i guess you know after that scene we uh there's tom on the shuttle going towards voyager yeah um some creepy there oh he is creepy but i did love the line do you always fly at women at warp speed mr paris it's like <laughs> only when they're in visual range <laughs> yeah i mean he is a creep but that is the point i think yeah how 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 do we think that scene has aged Huh? Well, this is the yeah, this is the thing. I mean, I I love the women leader. I love yeah. the leader, and uh, you know she's intelligent and the scientist, and that's wonderful. But there's an awful lot of uh, possibly things that wouldn't be quite so uh, acceptable in the post Me Too um, era. Well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> in particular, I... the leaning over. Oh uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't even sort of very close to into their neck. Yeah, their hands on their shoulders slash neck. <laughs> I mean, that would be weird if I did that to a colleague. There is, um, which series that I watch? Oh, yes, it's Jonathan Frakes who plays Riker in The Next Generation. He always, like, puts his, like, one leg up on, like, a surf. You know, like, he's always like, oh, I'm like, stop doing that. Doesn't make you masculine. You've got a bit. I mean, obviously, it's all its time. But, um, yeah, but I mean, I think the point is Tom Paris is supposed to be a creep. And she is very, like, strong. You know, she's not bothered by him. And she rebuffs him. And it's not, like, a big... Uh, because he does go on this whole um, thing. And then I guess we learn a little bit about Voyager because she t- says something about the binaural mm. circuitry. Any comments mm. on the binaural circuitry? Bioneural circuitry, sorry. I, well, sorry, go through other people first because like, me coming to it as wine. a bright-eyed idiot newbie is not going to help this for anyone who's actually into it. No, go um, ahead. I, I just thought... I mean, if you think about when it was made, that's actually a really clever fictional concept mm. to come up with as a way of explaining why the ship is sort of an awful lot faster, you know, more advanced and of its time. I, I sort of quite like the fact as well that um, in a parallel series, which um, is my only real frame of reference to the Star Trek universe in its completion, in the Orville, the one time they're sort of thrown forward into the future, like this incredible ship that they come across actually just looks completely organically grown. And I sort of quite like that as someone's concept of when science becomes so advanced, it becomes, you know, biological. Mm. Um, And and I sort of see that parallel in the bioneural circuitry that um, you mentioned there. Um, So I I really liked it. And and it sort of, it it sort of also parallels, um, what was Farscape and Moya? I always loved that idea that, you know, this group traveling through space in something that's actually alive rather than, you know, just a, you know, mechanical ship. And I, and I like that. I really like that. And it made uh, Voyager feel that little bit closer to a living thing. 
Ah. Yeah, which which came first, Voyager's Bionural Secretary or, or Moya? They're quite similar I mean, in a way, aren't they? They, they weren't randomly that. going through different bits of the same universe by any chance, were they? <laughs> I just mean in terms of when they were made. Uh, possibly Voyager? I, I, I think it's, yeah. it's also a bit of a precursor to um I'm just like zooming ahead. Mm. <laughs> Whenever I watch the pilot episode, it makes me think of all the future episodes. <laughs> Especially because in the future episodes they come back in time to the pilot mm. episode. <laughs> but in particular, there's kind of like a precursor to the one where um Tom um he gets taken over by an <laughs> organic ship. Oh, yes. <laughs> he sort of is interconnected to it and it yes. starts to sort of control his mind and his behaviour and um you know, mm. Alice. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, it's like a pre. Which is apparently today, based it? on a book by Stephen. Well, I don't know. What, I don't want to say based, a similar concept in a book by Stephen King called Christine, which I mm. saw in a charity shop and then I didn't buy for some reason. Anyway, mm. um, side note. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, sorry, I, I should ask. Red, do do you mind me sort of bringing up all these things? That no, I want you to of... bring up everything. But obviously, I'm just trying to go a little bit in chronological order so we don't. To- totally get it. Totally but, I mean, get maybe it. that's pointless, but um... no, no, no. Keep up, good God, keep us right. in order. This place oh, okay. needs structure, and I'm not bringing it. I agree. We might have to because um... <laughs> how long is it? It's like two hours. Yeah. We're in the first five minutes, still, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I know. We might. I see there might be another recording. Although, to be honest, there's some things that I just zoom through. Um, but you might have a lot more to say, so let's see. Yeah, but then I you guess you might want to edit and cut things. Oh yeah. Well. I we, think want, we want this, this podcast is, this to is be a podcast as, for the purists. Yes, it as little effort as possible. So it's not going to get a lot of editing. Oh, I, um, okay. I meant the reverse. Yeah, yeah, totally. Then at ten minutes or nine minutes, so we a little bit further than five minutes. I think we um, are in quarks because we're on Deep Space Nine. Actually, speaking of Deep Space Nine, because Voyager is at Deep Space Nine, uh, and we saw Morn. Do you guys? Uh, I did. He did look familiar. I the saw guy. Occasional... What quark uh, is the Ferengi? Mm. Uh, yeah, Bar Quark. He's the guy who tries to rip off um, Harry yeah. Um But yeah, that scene is sweet. But Jenny, I mainly wanted to ask: Do you remember when Garrett Wang w- walked past us at the Star Trek conference? Uh, of course. <laughs> I mean, this yeah. was the highlight of my life. I mean, I'm not even. <laughs> I'm not even a Star Trek fan, and I remember that. <laughs> yeah, that was quite exciting. We made a little. We were in the queue, and he had to get through, so we had to like move back. I am through, I think. <laughs> I, yeah, and I was pleased to see that, you know, he had, he had a big smile on his face and he's very yeah. polite and um, he seems yeah. like yeah. a really nice guy. So that's, how, that's always how many nice. Years, how many years ago was that? That was only a, a year or two. Year? Yeah. yeah. And have you watched yeah. the elbow that grazed him yet? <laughs> well, oh, I didn't touch him. <laughs> Wait, that came on first. <laughs> <laughs> didn't touch that man Maybe in the court. Maybe prove anything. Grazed. Especially after that horrible disease he gets in the first episode. Yeah. I mean, he might be contagious still. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think he's quite um, a fan of attending the Star Trek events. Oh, that's, I mean, from what I can pick up on the Delta Flies. I think he met his wife at a convention. But a couple of years ago? In your own one, time. one or so, yeah. One year ago. He's... <laughs> Jenny's into polyamory or whatever. Oh, God. Uh, okay. <laughs> married someone else. No. Um, <laughs> but I don't want to, I guess, gloss over too much about in that scene at Quarks, but it's, I guess, when Harry meets Tom Paris hmm. in the beginning of the bromance. They're meet cute, I think, as they say in Hollywood. Uh, but yeah. I don't have too much more to say about that. Yeah, I, I sort of like the way it introduced them as. Um... 
contrasting characters, but ones who slot together quite nicely. Yeah. Because, you know, you've, you've got Tom Paris, who seems very sort of man of the world and cynical and jaded, but you sort of feel, you know, he feels like he's lacking some of that solidity and that warmth and that self-belief that comes from the friendship of a straight edge like Harry Kim. Uh, and you sort of start to see what, well, what I see them giving each other throughout the rest of the episode. You sort of start to see it from that sort of moment where um, Tom Paris basically gets him out of jail. Um, but then he sort of gets reassurance from the fact that Harry's there like, and being like, yeah, thanks man. Appreciate it. And, you can sort of see how that dynamic starts to develop throughout the rest of the episode. Yeah, I really love their their friendship. And I guess at the beginning, they, they're opposites in a sense, but... Mm. Uh, Complimenting ones. Yeah. Um, I think in the next scene, well, we see kind of Voyager from the outside. And I love Voyager. I, think, and I, I mean, some of the times the graphics are pretty old school, obviously. But I think sometimes they're really good. <laughs> So, Jamie, as someone who's new and doesn't have, like, the sentimentality, I guess, attached, what are all these, like, special effects and graphics? Do they come across, like, very old-fashioned to you, or...? I, I mean, you've, you've asked me, uh, as someone who doesn't have the sentimentality, you heard that the one thing I liked as a kid about yeah, Star Trek great. was seeing the starships. Um, no, I am drinking a glass of wine, so I cannot track everything you said. <laughs> I thought you were going to say to cope with you. Um, no, uh, I, I liked it, like... It's it's a new thing, as I never sort of think about things that much from the perspective of, oh, this is the character's first time doing this, because so much of Star Trek is exploring new ground. But given that's their home, I, I hadn't considered it from the perspective of that's them seeing their home for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I, I like it. Um I feel oddly more touched to, about the whole thing emotionally talking about it now than I did at the time of watching it, perhaps because I hadn't considered it from that perspective. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. and um, yeah. Then I think um, we go into the sick bay and Harry and Tom have to report to the sick bay and we meet some guy who's obviously going to die soon because he's not very nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only it worked that way in real life. Uh, and you, you get a little bit more about or hints of like Paris's background and what he did. Although I'm not really clear, to be honest. Um, yeah. And then oh, we see... Right, there's an episode on that later. Uh, yeah, and, and there is also the whole thing that he's like, yeah, pilot, pilot error. And yeah. then he covered it up. And then he sort of, the the way in which he sort of explains how he, you know, was found, it sort of seems one isn't sure whether he's being sarcastic and saying, oh, yeah, yeah, and then I told people, uh, or saying, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. you think I'd tell people? And, and it oh, seems a little bit ambiguous whether he actually did, you know, fess and come clean because he was feeling guilty and is now just regretting it because of all the trouble he had afterwards, or whether he's trying to sort of, cast doubt on the idea that he outed himself for whatever he did yeah there's something about his attitude and his acting which is like i'm gonna i'm not really hate myself but i'm gonna think the lowest of myself than mm. than you because so, if i think of myself very lowly <laughs> mm. no one else can think lower of me there's like he's got like quite this edge mm. Well, he tries to he tries to act up to people's lowest yeah. view of him yes well, exactly. feeling that it's not really him or fair, or all of these sorts of things, but you know, mm. f them. I, 
I get the impression that he um, he knows that everyone's going to think it anyway. So mm. why bother? Why yeah. bother trying to say, well, I, I made this mistake mm. and this is why I covered it up, but I didn't mean to or I feel bad about it or mm. it was a mistake because everyone's going to prejudge him anyway, so why not yeah. um, go with the flow? <laughs> mm. um, then I think we have a scene that you were kind of referring to earlier, Jamie. Oh, oh, why am I getting a work notification? Um, <laughs> in the ready room with Janeway and she's talking to, I think his name is Mark. As I said, I just block the scene up because I'm like, well, then that's never going to happen. But you had some thoughts. Uh, with more? What? I think his name is Mark. The guy and the dogs who are like her. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I mean, yeah, that <laughs> maybe that says a lot about how little it's supposed to be. But I. Maybe I've his name of... isn't Mark. So let's not quote me on that. <laughs> Janeway's fiance. Let's, but... let, yeah, let's call this fiance. guy who, who oh is Janeway's fiance. Um, whose name we don't know. Let's call him Mark, just in case we're wrong. I think it's uh, Mark. I'm not sure okay. either. So, Mark, I, I thought it's interesting because it, it's like the first scene in which we see a fair amount of Janeway and interactions with crew. And perhaps there was, it was injected there as a way of sort of, you know, not having Janeway as this one-dimensional character who's just strong captain the entire way. Um, but you yeah. know, making clear that you know she has feelings and is a feeling person, and you know it's not just a big adventure for her. She has actually lost things um, and has skin in the game. If they you know do not force, for instance, the caretaker to send them back across the galaxy when you know there's the opportunity to you know just take the station and let the caves on, you know, have it after. Um, so it does sort of position her as someone who has, you know, quite a lot at stake as opposed to just being this one random, uh, not mm. random, but one faceted person. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes, I mean, I 100% understand because now, I mean, I don't know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I read a lot about like mm. writing TV or producing mm. TV and writing scripts and the stakes is 100% the word. I just don't believe the stakes, I guess, because <laughs> I, maybe that's more about my personality. But obviously they're trying to like show that she has a, a connection, something tying her back to Earth uh, mm. that she'd want to get back to. But for me, I didn't really like, I was like, whatever. <laughs> but the individual... I'm the single person mm. who does, you know, like, so maybe that's coming. So I, for you, yeah. maybe that was more of an impact. I mean... But I was just like, ah, oh, whatever. It does seem very... have a great time um... in space. Yeah, very unbelievable. But, you know, I think they had to do that. I think it's kind of a plot device because otherwise, mm. how can you not blame her for making the decision to not take them back to, to destroy the array? Ah, uh, that's Because she a good didn't point. sacrifice anything, yeah. you know? So yeah. you have to show that she's making a sacrifice. Ex exactly, yeah. Otherwise, you're going to hate the lead protagonist, mm. aren't you? She's, she's done something selfish because she's happy to go mm. off on an adventure. She's got no one back home when uh, the rest mm. of the crew have all their family. Mm-hmm. That is a good point, Jenny. I think Jamie has raised his hand. Yeah, I, I just realised I've got a hand raiser thing, and after you know a month or so unemployed, I realised oh I've got to go back to Zoom protocols to get back used to doing that before I'm, you know, presumably gainfully employed sometime next century. Um, because of course, you know, being unemployed is why I'm on this podcast. Um, I great. I did also can you do the editing? <laughs> 
I mean, do you, do you truly want me to do the editing, Red? That might be uh, a mixed blessing at best. I wanted to know, did you guys think that uh, Agent Mark, as we're calling him now, felt like a believable partner for Janeway? Because, I mean, I, he Maybe that's looks an why awful I lot older. He was a bit yeah. old. Yeah. <laughs> Not to be ageist um, about this, it. but he looks a good 30 years older than her. <laughs> I, I didn't believe it either, but I think for me it wasn't an age thing. That didn't even register, actually. Um, I didn't believe it because wow, I didn't believe that was the kind of person he, that she would go for. <laughs> because uh, the yes. brief the brief period, the only conversation we got from him, he was running around looking after her dog. Um, and yeah. it's quite a sort of passive, submissive um, like role in a relationship, I guess. Um and I would imagine someone like her, I mean, opposites attract, but I would have imagined her with someone um, a little bit more like her, maybe like Chakotay, I guess, <laughs> someone who was also like a leader. Like Chakotay. <laughs> um, yeah, so... that's really... Why does no, no one ever I mean, imagine I find that really interesting. Tuvok? Because they're such good friends. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, j- I'm joking. I, I could have literally said anyone there. I just it's wanted to sort of stir the pot. Oh yeah, he is also married. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so in the interest of a little bit of, well, we might have to do it in a separate recording. But I think then Harry and Kim come into the ready room. I mean, Harry, sorry, Harry and Kim, Harry and Tom uh, come into the ready room and report to Janeway. And this is the whole scene where Harry calls her ma'am. Yeah, um, yeah, but we're not really at crunch time yet. We're not at crunch time. Yes. I love that bit. So ma'am is acceptable in a crunch, but I prefer captain, which I really love. And then as you say later, he calls her ma'am and she's like, it's not crunch time yet. Yeah, but do you, do you notice that there's a bit quite a lot of continuity there? Because then right at the end, Paris calls her ma'am and they are in crunch time. So he's, he's done it. <laughs> she's like, fine. Ah, I didn't notice that. But I did like that. I mean, this is a whole other podcast, but I feel like historically men have been like oh we can't promote women because what will we call them <laughs> just like just to really I, sum up in one line uh, some history history and she's just like ma'am it's okay in a crunch but i prefer captain and then problem solved um uh, then i think we move to the bridge and there's some more awkward tom paris interactions with people who don't like him and the, it's not much yeah. time yet and then Voyager is off, and that's at about fifteen minutes. So <laughs> this might be a long podcast. I don't, and the only comment I had from like the whole full double episode was the one right at the very end. So we're not even going to get to that one. Well, Jenny, you've already said quite a lot. So whether you have a comment, yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, do you know what? I have a lot more to comment on when you guys are talking about it yeah. than actually just yeah. sitting watching it. <laughs> I mean, I, I had nothing to comment on. I'm entirely riffing off the things that Red comes out with. Um, well, Apart okay, so from one into... Cartesian dilemma, which I wish to pose uh, you guys Dashian? about this. Cartesian? Cartesian. Cartesian. No. And Cartesian. No, Cartesian. Damn, you got me doing it. It's not Cardassian. It's not to do with the Cardassians. It's a Cartesian dilemma. Okay. Um, which I'm a bit like, it. how do we know one particular thing? But anyway, carry on. Then we move to the canteen and we have a funny kind of like soup scene where Tom Paris is trying to order just plain soup from the replicator. Yeah. I'm sure as a kid... I was obsessed with the idea of having a replicator. Oh, I thought we'd all have them. Uh, and literally, I, I didn't even watch Star Trek, but I thought we'd all have them. What happened to 3D printers? <laughs> I mean, we don't even have those in our homes. 
Um, then oh, we find out a little bit more about him. He's the son of an admiral, admiral, mm. admiral. Well, mm. and then um, and he thinks the... Harry's gonna ditch him as a friend, and Harry's like, I can choose my own friends. Yeah, is is this the scene where he where Harry basically asks him, "Is it true? You know, yeah, was it and his pilot error?" But you know, and he sort of cast shade at whether he actually did fess up. So yeah, that it is. It was a good scene. I like that. It, yeah. it doesn't sort of immediately position him as someone who, you know, is uh, wrongfully maligned, but it does leave enough space for it not to have been entirely his fault and him to be a, be both a possibly redemptable character or possibly one who's just morally repugnant and there's still enough sort of space there, which I quite liked. Yeah, that's true. And the fact um, that Harry, I mean, he's young and eager and keen, but he's got backbone, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, and and also that that sort of again that friendship that you talk about it sort of starts to introduce that sort of moral solidity that I think I get the impression Paris relies on increasingly or get some sort of validation from getting it from Harry Harry's belief in him makes him believe in himself and you know all sorts of things like he then sort of I don't want anything to happen to um, Harry. Yeah. Quote, man starts, at yeah. crunch time and all <laughs> these sorts of things it sort of positions the fact that those are going to happen and makes them believable when they happen later on yeah that's a very good point yeah although um, you know i have to take issue with one thing here now, <gasps> when uh, it's very understandable and relatable and nice that uh, paris says to janeway when they're about to go off and try and look for harry later when he's disappeared later in the episode um I want to come with you. I want, I want to come with you on the away mission to try and find him. You know, it's because I care about Harry. Harry. And she says, okay, then. <laughs> Surely that is not the way to run away missions. <laughs> Good point. Save that for a lot of If you have an but... emotional stake and you're potentially emotionally compromised, yeah, you're in. <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back slightly because I think I, when I watched uh, Star Trek in 2019, 2019, I feel like I learned a lot about good leadership and, uh, as crazy as that sounds, and also like hierarchical structures, which never made sense to me before. Um, and don't you think that she would want to give Paris a chance to grow and redeem himself as a... I mean, yeah. no one could guarantee that's what the writers were thinking at the time. <laughs> but that's, I, think, that's kind of... I think that's a valid way to yeah work around it and say, yeah, but she's the captain and so therefore she gets the final say and she's had some she's thought you know what i want to give him this opportunity he's developed a relationship with one of my crew who's potentially going to be a good role model for tom you know, have they even been on the ship younger? for 72 hours by the point that she makes that decision <laughs> no but she no but she knows tom's paris backstrap tom paris is mm. yeah she was like with science with officer on father. his dad's on yeah. his dad's ship wasn't wow. she? yeah so she probably good knows all about him I mean, yeah. it was in the episode you just. I had know, us but watch. that was something that again. I was like, don't need to know for the future. <laughs> um, she probably gave it a lot of thought before she even went to the penal colony. About, That's true. Can I what? can I kill two birds with one stone here? Can I, you know, use him like, you know, as a as a tool to find the marquee? But also, is it an opportunity to to allow him um, yeah. to redeem I'm himself? Sure, I'm not part sure of that I is get that vibe. Friends. I'm not I sure I get that true, vibe, really. actually. I, I don't know if I agree with that, but it's okay to disagree. I, I 
I, I don't know if she goes there with the express intent of sort of redeeming him or, you know, doing his old dad a favour by giving his son a chance. I'm not sure if I get that vibe. Um, hmm. It's possible. It's an interesting It's an interesting unknowable, and it's a perspective I hadn't sort of taken to it. Do I believe Captain Janeway set out to redeem Tom Paris from the start? I'm not sure set out, but set out to give him the opportunity, because she probably knows his story and is like, hmm, does he really deserve to be, you know, I don't know, in a penal colony? Mm-hmm. Um, looking at my notes, I was like, why does I mean, New say- Zealand's quite a nice place. Yeah. <laughs> So why does it say porridge? But that's just my bad handwriting. It says bridge. Um, so now they're approaching the badlands and the displacement wave is coming. And I think at this point, I noticed that the techno bubble begins. Hmm. Um, the Star Trek techno bubble. Yes, Jamie. <laughs> what are the badlands supposed to be? Because no one actually really sort of specifies uh, that. They All are of is like that are bad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I sort of felt that I would um, get some sort of response like that. So. I say the lands that are like are they, are, okay. or where the Maquis hang, hang out. Or Could ha- I push back also, on that? Isn't there like the Has bad lands in being... the Lion King? Yeah. <laughs> and can, are they strictly speaking lands as they're being flown oh, through by a spaceship? No, you're just being annoying. Um, <laughs> I'm muting let's myself. Let's Google it quickly. Oh, you're still there. What happened if I leave the... Uh, you guys went quiet when I started when I went to a new tab. So um... oh no, I'm gonna I, I haven't plugged in. I should have plugged in. One sec. The Badlands was a region of space located in sector zero four seven zero of the Alpha Quadrant, a segment of the border between the United Federation of Planets and the Cardassian Union was located in this region. Okay. According and to memory, the... Alpha fandom. And are there really plasma storms in space? I don't know. I'm not an expert. <laughs> I just we, wanted we to need, see how far we could take your Googling capabilities on this one. So. Yeah, we need another um, person to join this podcast who has some sort of thing This podcast is going to be four hours long, guys. That's okay. I'm I think cool we accept at just... face value what happens in space. I mean, we, could, we do have a friend with a PhD in astrophysics who we could bring to sort of validate some Star Trek science for us for well, a maybe future they can, podcast. Yeah, maybe we can have like a footnotes episode and you can... Write down these questions and then get them to answer all the questions. Okay. Uh, you know, I have that. a lot to say on the sciencey bits that are more to do with health and biology and viruses and things. Ah. But the physics not- and everything else. I'm noting um, down footnotes questions for the astrophysics uh, podcast. Okay. Which is a great so then, idea for a podcast. For yeah, definitely. This. We can definitely have a questions. Um, so then I, get, I guess what I didn't quite realize until later is that the Voyager and the Maquis ship gets hit by this displacement wave. Uh, but, you know, so they're both uh, impacted. And then we kind of come back and we're in Voyager and we can see the carnage and the, the kind of effect. And again, some more annoying characters are killed off, as I <laughs> like to look at. Um, and we see the array for the first, like, the first time. And does anyone know what an array is? Oh, uh, <laughs> I've that. googled array millions of times, but array like means like so many things. Like array in like software programming is like a group of numbers. I think it's an, an array of antenna. Yeah, you can have an array of antenna or array of like I think solar panels or, or something. Of, yeah, of space installations. Hang on, so array Should is just Google a very space? vague word. I've got to be honest. Well, I don't like to criticize Star Trek. Array. 
space <laughs> array. Uh, no, I Google space array and um, actually, nothing. Uh, can I can I share screen here? I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't hang think on. So. I I just get when I go for space array, I just get loads of satellites okay. with um, various solar panels and uh, arrays of antenna facing out to space. So just like uh, a collection of tech. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Yeah, I think so. Um, so that's just the image. Let's see. Okay, how do you put a space in an array? That's that's not what we mean. No. Print. How do you get an array uh, into space? NASA s successfully installs new rollout solar array on space station. Uh, no one seems to actually... What is the dictionary definition of array? I think it's just an arrangement. An array is a systematic arrangement of similar objects, usually in rows and columns. Okay, that's closer to me understanding. And people also ask, what does array mean in space? And apparently from the early 1960s at NRAO, astronomers knew they needed an array of radio dishes to complement the work of giant single-dish telescopes. An array is a group of several radio antennas observing together, creating, in effect... A single telescope many miles across. Did you look at the array and think single telescope? I feel like array is maybe like a, a collection of things to strengthen the thing. That's kind of what my... Mm. Cool. Apparently you can say something like an array of solar panels. So uh, yeah. it's just lots of them in a row, presumably. <laughs> you can say anything. <laughs> an array of people. Yeah, it sounds more technical than the space arrangement of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's always, I've always not quite known. Um, mm. And then at 21, around 20 minutes, we find out, uh, I guess in that scene, that they are 70,000 light years from home. Mm. Yes, I'm always impressed at how calmly they all take it. <laughs> they seem utterly, un, un, you know, this is an everyday at the office kind of situation. And, you know, this is just another problem to solve. <laughs> it's, That's it's... true. That's true. True, but I mean, they've. I mean, which, which, uh, how many Star Trek series have there been, sort of prior to Voyager? Well, there was the original series and Next Generation, One, I think. Two. Any others? And then Deep Space Nine was kind of at around the same time. Yeah, because you've got the Cardassians, and that's so they've had three series of people just doing absolutely insane stuff in space and learning how to sort of keep their SH1T together to, you know, cope with random things like, um, you know, we're 70,000 miles from home. In fact... Yeah, but I think you... actually Jenny has a point. I just let that go. I was like, oh, wow, that's quite serious. Hey, but... have, you <laughs> ever, have you ever seen a Starfleet crew absolutely lose it no, that is any, the in crew. any situation? That's well, why yes. I aspire to be like the Starfleet oh. crew. Uh, <laughs> they do occasionally lose it, and the things that they lose it over are surprisingly small fry compared to <laughs> finding your seventy thousand light years and what, may what never sort of stuff. Return. What sort of stuff? Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. I need to. I need to have a think about that. I feel like Chicote has a couple of losing it moments that are surprising. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he lacks the discipline of an of a you know. Properly grounded Starfleet officer. Maybe that's it, yeah. Does Chainway ever lose it? I'm trying to think. No, she's awesome. Uh, but maybe I'll be proved wrong when we rewatch. But um, 
Ben, did you notice the ad break? Sorry, just as someone who, I don't know, I don't know if I'm a TV nerd, but after that scene was the ad break, but there obviously no ads on Netflix. Um, I, mean, I, I bought it on iTunes, so I couldn't say. Ah, okay. Well, mine was on Prime Video. Yeah, I didn't notice any. <laughs> Maybe they can't, you know. I mean, I don't think you already noticed it. Sorry, I mean, again, it's more because I read about script writing and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that was the ad break back in the day. That's when they yeah. were showing the ads. I mean, I, I don't like to mention the platform that I watch it on, but iTunes is such a great app. Do you want sponsorship? Because we're not going to yes. do <laughs> um, I might sponsor I mean, I'm, this I'm podcast not... with my other side hustle. So I'm not <laughs> saying that I want iTunes and Apple to sponsor us, but iTunes is just such a great app. Sorry. You know, Netflix is also pretty good. I watched it on, And you watched it on Amazon. So I think we... Well, I, we, no, we I wish I hadn't right? said that now. I don't want to advertise Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Don't worry, guys. Uh, it's I just did the, check the world's. First. I just yeah. couldn't find it on Netflix. I mean, oh, Amazon's another great company. It's just the world's top ebook app. Well, I think we have all our bases covered. So if we ever get any kind of listenership, they'll all come crying. And yeah, to we'll, us. we'll just have to edit out all the other platforms and all the other companies <laughs> that aren't sponsoring us. Ah, <laughs> uh, funny. Um, <laughs> I'm going to whisk through, like, after the, um, the kind of assessing damage and stuff we find out the, <clears throat> the engineering chief is also dead opening the path for another character later on um and the doctor yes well tom and tom paris and harry kim will go to sick bay briefly and something that i've realized after watching many many episodes of star trek is that the consoles are really deadly people are always <laughs> yeah, they explode loads, <laughs> especially for something that's supposed to have bioneural circuitry <laughs> really really deadly anyway um can, and then um yeah well, I, then I, we I find really... out a warp core breach is imminent and then yeah. we meet the emh the medical hologram yes yeah. they must be I, I love i love the way he just starts treating uh, harry kim as a nurse oh yeah that is good jenny you're gonna say something Oh, I, well, I, I was delayed. I was thinking about how much fun it must be to film those uh, explosion episodes. Ah. <laughs> Everything's lighting up and there's fake smoke and everyone's running around. <laughs> I just think it looks like fun. I Actually, I was listening because I told you I re-listened to like the um, Delta Flyers episode where, um, where they covered this, the caretaker. Um, and... Uh, they were discussing the fact that after their first one or two episodes, some a, a woman, I think, called, well, I'm assuming a woman, Kim Friedman, was coming to direct the third episode. And uh, before she arrived, she sent them all a letter and a video, I think, of like how to shake in space. Like, because she said, you guys are acting really well, but none of you are doing the correct shaking. Like, you know, when the ship, like, when the voyage is like impacted or when there's an explosion or whatever she's like you guys are just like standing there so she sent like specific like instructions on how to shake and then she's like if you need any help go to anyone on the crew or the cast of deep space nine and they'll help you because they can shake pretty well <laughs> oh i love that yeah that's, that's a funny story but um, was, that, get... was that the random little known fact no that's saving that for later is it better than that? Because like, that's a no, pretty damn No, I don't think fact. so. That's oh. really you have to get lessons in, like, you know. Uh. So how do you shake? <laughs> this is why we're recording the video. Because so we I, I, I think it's important that you share the knowledge you do have on how to shake properly in space. Oh, what were I they doing know. that was so wrong? Hmm. Well, I don't think they were moving. <laughs> that was 
That was step one. You, you'd think uh, that is part of just general acting <laughs> lessons, surely. I mean, what, how to shake in space? Well, yeah, just any impact, you know, if you're in filming a car crash or... Um... So, like, how would my shake in space differ from, like, if I was on the Channel Ferry and we hit rough weather and I'm sort of jolted over? Probably quite the similar, quite the same. Yeah, Yeah, because they've Cause... got gravity on the ship, so... Yeah. It's the same as a crash, in, yeah, as you say, a ferry or, or a plane. Interesting. Possibly. That is, yeah, I, that is really is, funny. Sorry, we've, we've gone off down a Yeah, no, I just had to show us great because you rabbit think hole. Yeah. <laughs> but we mean uh, the emergency medical hologram. I mean, now I feel like it is important to mention this guy's name, uh, Robert or Bob Picardo, because he is great. Mm. <laughs> He's um, does he act in Scrubs, or is there just a character that looks really similar to him in Scrubs? I think maybe the lawyer. Oh no, that's different. Yeah. Um, yeah, that the lawyer isn't the lawyer. I have a feeling he is in Scrubs, though. He's something. Maybe he um, like has a guest. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, like a guest appearance, possibly. Okay. I'll. I can always check. Um, and then something else I'm going to gloss over, but I think Janeway gets the warp core stabilized. I was like. Just, He's a genius, obviously. So. Easy, easy, <laughs> easy. Um, I didn't have too much to say about that. Um, but then people start disappearing. Yeah. Yeah, that's... So people are being transported. About, yeah, and, and, and then, if memory serves, and then they all sort of find themselves with like a random needle going into them. Is that right? Am I remembering yes, correctly? So there's, there's two scenes. Um, first, we so, see them on like a farm what I think yeah. of as a southern farm scene. <laughs> no, no, no. Be- before before then, they're getting the needles. No, no, it's, that's afterwards. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I think some of them are in the farm and some of them are in that kind of sickbay area with the needle in them. Yeah. Because um, I'm always of the sort of, how do they know that this isn't like the Matrix and everything after that isn't like a massive hallucination or, mm. you know, hol- hologrammatic projection of some description or other yeah well the farm scene is a hologram but that's what the tricorder is for yeah Uh -uh. (laughs) well no 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 no. hang on because if someone basically puts you under and puts you in this weird sort of matrix style thing with the random needles and you can all imagine that massive sort of rows of humans in canisters that are like that you matrix scene where neo sees reality for the first time (laughs) um just in case some of our viewers aren't um, you know, there may there may be some people here who were, you know, born after nineteen nineteen. I've made them um, watch the Matrix. <laughs> yeah, no one is allowed to watch the Star Trek podcast unless you've watched the Matrix. But how do they know that they're not still under in some sort of drug induced hallucinatory experience in which they're all sort of hallucinating this alternative reality? Well, doesn't that remind just, you of another episode that's coming up, Jenny? Because I think there's someone who's yeah. like well, that's, keeps that's dreaming the or thinking dilemma. they're in a dream. Yeah. Well, that's I think, the Cartesian dilemma I have with it. Yeah, like, I think how I do think any of them that, know um, that scenario definitely happens at least once in other episodes. But yeah. the thing is, um, I don't think they do know that. They just they just have to get on with it, don't they? Yeah, <laughs> just right, try and work out what, what's going on and. I think From in the other episode know, where it does happen. They're still at the array and everything is just, you know, some mass computer induced uh, experience. <laughs> There's one where they're all, um, it turns out they're all sleeping as well. They're in some kind of alien induced sleep dream. <laughs> yeah. And then they keep trying to get out of it and discovering they're in the dream still. 
Yeah. I mean, there's no way of experiencing that in real life. Is there like some weird sleeping gas I could get pumped in? Because I sleep badly. I don't know. I recommend magnesium oil or taking magnesium supplements. Mm. Interesting. Give that a try. They can also sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> which um, which company magnesium supplements would you recommend I, for me, Red? Just, uh, just... Be- I, I'm taking the Beauty Pie magnesium supplements, but I think I take Was the better the health. Pie magnesium supplements. You mentioned that's the that? Beauty Pie magnesium supplements. Beauty, Beauty Pie, Pie magnesium supplements. <laughs> you say. Uh, but better you or better health magnesium gel oil also. Jenny, I want to ask you a question because I feel like maybe this is not a popular opinion, but um, I don't like it when the crew are like in Earth-like settings. Oh. And I think... I don't I, like, like it when someone uses deviled eggs to try and seduce someone and I find <laughs> it vaguely arousing. Was that in this episode? Yeah, yeah. It's, it is, I mean, it's amazing. It's like the bit where she's like... Hey, don't go into the bar. Do you want some of my uh, deviled eggs? Wow, again, and... I was just brushing past that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, when that happens and then Harry Kim says, she's not real, Tom. Oh, yes. I'm just like, as if he, he cares. <laughs> like, well, yeah. that's not going to stop him, is it? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, in, in fact, there's actually like, an uh, well, not amazing, but like a scene in Red Dwarf, which was... Um, sort of parodying that where uh, Lister is just constantly not Lister. Is it Lister? Um, yeah. Uh, not that, yeah, he's he's just basically constantly going off to to, uh, to the hologram suite for um, detective uh, sort of holograms where he's just constantly getting off with these femme fatales. Um, so yeah, Tom Paris would not be the only one to take advantage in that respect. Oh, no, definitely not. <laughs> Um, the but the Earth question. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd ask why. I don't think I get that. I'm trying to. I, I think it's usually quite interesting when they go back to Earth because you're like, oh, you get to see them on, you know, the home planet. Um, but mm. you know, as long as it's not, you know, the whole episode because you don't mm. yeah. see them on Earth, do you? Okay. <laughs> why, why? Why do you not like it, Red? I think. I know. I think. I mean, I love Star Trek Voyager. I'm not here to criticize it, <laughs> but uh, um, I think sometimes the like my least favorite episodes are episodes like where they live in like island in the holodeck, mm. uh, because then the scenery and setting is all like um, very earth-like, and I guess maybe I'm not. Uh, yeah, and they just oh, seem like the yeah. contrast seems like very high between like how they dress and whatever, and then. Yeah, and just it. sort of seem to be acting naturally, even though they're all dressed in futuristic no, I mean, that, space uniforms. Yeah, that I can get over, but it's more just like they kind of look out of place. Uh, but this this sort of goes just back like, to what I was saying. Sorry, Jenny, I talked across you. No, I was gonna. Um, I was just gonna say that I, I agree with that. Interestingly, like mm. I, I find the ones where they're they're in the hollow deck for the entire episode um, slightly less interesting. Mm. Um, but when they're actually back on Earth. Um, mm. in real life yeah. I find that quite and, interesting, that is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, it's just because you learn about them and their backstory yeah. and their real life yeah. Up yeah. off the spaceship whereas in the holodeck it's, you know it's all just not real so it yeah. takes away from the to, interest a bit to me for this one it sort of added like nice variety and like different places that they're in and contrast in the episode but the very few Star Trek episodes that I've watched where they're like primarily in an earth setting as a kid I was always like 
I watch this to watch people have fights with space lasers. This is not it. Yeah, um, maybe that was my attitude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I was just, it's, it's always interesting to um, just get everyone else's opinions. Um, then I guess this thing is like they're looking for the rest of their crew members. They get some life signs in the barn. Then all those like creepy neighbors materialize. Mm-hmm. The hologram in the barn is disrupted. I'm not even sure why. And we, mm. um, they have that needle that you're talking about. They're lying there. So creepy. Yes, very creepy. And then when Harry, I'm now skipping quite a bit because my notes here are not very good, but when Harry <laughs> is suddenly like under the needle and then he screams, it's very yeah. distressing. Yep. Uh, it's very yep. effective, I have to say. Like quite um Yeah. Mm. I also have so many questions about the 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 biological aspect of this whole experimentation. I'm just oh. like, what how would you experiment on species to try to find if the biologically compatible with you to to mate but then from those experiments they develop a fatal disease i can't imagine yeah that's a good question. scenario in which yeah, uh, actually but, you know he's 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 way beyond our human technology so i just have to you know suspend my and only two of them yeah well yeah but also theoretically he can't be both simultaneously way beyond human technology and not if he infects you know he gives them all disease but the moment I mean, actually, I don't have anything to go on that next episode they're cured of the disease. Are they cured of the disease after this episode or during it? And if so, how? Like, they get cured by those, like, that mold that grows on fruit trees. Does that help them? I I don't know. I I don't see any bit where they, like, take it or any... There's almost no reference to them getting cured (laughs) in this episode. Continuity question. They sort of assume the the way Bellano mentions when they're trying to climb up to the surface. She mm. says, "The you know, or possibly Harry said that the only way we're going to survive is if you, you get us back to our ship, as if she knows uh, they can uh, be cured by the doctor. Oh, yeah, but by the doctor. Mm. She doesn't really know, does she? She's just assuming. Yeah. Why would you assume that Starfleet had the medicine to cure this? Well, I mean, it well, is a good assumption. They're pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the accompans are like, obviously, like they're giving them herbs to cure disease. <laughs> like, so you'd assume they're a little bit behind the times. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's like bringing a penknife to a gunfight for herbs for this disease, obviously. But, yeah, but um, not to just like, you know, be down on some medicinal herbs. I'm sure that's possible. Um, what are you trying to say here, Red? Uh, nothing. Don't read anything into that. I'm just saying lots of medicines come from plants, right? Um, so then I think, again, just kind of rushing slightly, but they kind of, everyone wakes up back on voyage, almost everyone, and they realize it's three days later. And they mm. kind of, Tom kind of early on realizes that Kim is missing. Uh, and then the, the Maquis are also missing, Balana Torres. So Janeway mm. suggests cooperating to Chakotay. Because I think cooperation is her favorite, um, her favorite uh, method of solving problems, <laughs> which I like. Um, uh, oh yeah, so the crew of the Maquis ship wo- uh, beam across to Voyager, and then at that point, Tuvok confesses to Chakotay that he was actually there as January security officer and has been feeding information back to the Federation. I guess Chakotay uh, seems to take that very easily and very well. Mostly to give him the self the chance to have a go at uh, Mr. Paris. Yeah, I think he hates him more. 
Oh, well, I guess he kind of he kind of kind of elucidates in that scene why why because uh, he understands that Tuvok is like doing his job, a job that he understands and relates to, like infiltrating mm. the enemy, getting information. But he assumes mm. that Tom, uh, Tom Paris is just motivated by some selfish uh, motivation, which honestly, um, oh. prejudice. We find out more about the array from Tuvok, but I can't remember what more of that is because I didn't write it down in my notes. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, oh, that it's just... maybe sending that pulse with the energy yeah. and it's speeding up. And... Yeah. Any, any, anyone else remember? <laughs> no, but I, I just think that being able to send energy in that way without any sort of uh, conductor would solve an awful lot of uh, energy problems here on planet Earth. Oh, yeah, they're always going on about distribution, aren't they? Yeah. I'm quite surprised that the um, the caretaker, being so advanced, can't just send him the amount of energy he, he's all in one or, go. Yeah, or sort of just pre-program the array to continue sending. Because he doesn't want the Kazon to get the array. I mean, again, it's a pretty advanced system. Couldn't you just... In fact, I'm ruining it. I'm like the guy who goes around saying that's not Santa when there's a fat man sat in, you know, red and... No, but I mean, you know, I think those are... <laughs> Uh, sorry, I'm ruining it. I mean, overall, I never really loved pilot episodes. I think this pilot is okay. I, as I said, I'm never going to really say anything bad, but hmm. there are probably more gaps in this episode than many others <laughs> because uh, they've got a lot to achieve. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, it's a good, um, it's a positive thing, actually, that you ask so many questions about why this and why that because mm. it's because they do such a good job of um, making it, you know, science fiction like it is based on real real world mm. science um so a lot of it is kind of logical um and you know episodes that are based on diseases or viruses that they follow a pattern that we do know in the real world and i assume it's the same with the tech side i don't really know the, the physics side um so i don't know i think we'd be doing them a disservice if we didn't question it and discuss yeah, what, what possible that's a good point you know they might well have an answer if we were to talk to the writers Hmm. Yeah, yeah no, that's fair. That's fair. I, I still have my unresolved Cartesian dilemma about the whole sort of are they still in the Matrix thing? But anyway. we're not watching the Matrix, so why do you have the question? <laughs> the Matrix metaphorically. Sorry, Red. Not the I literal like, Matrix. I think we have to take question. at face value. Yeah. I have a big question, which I'll be interested to see if you guys don't like either this didn't occur or that you see an obvious answer. Um, but it is right at the end of the sec of part two, so I don't know. Should we? Should I wait? Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, let's keep going. Uh, I think then Janeway realizes that the array can they can use the array to send them home, mm. and so she wants to go back, I guess, to negotiate or chat to the what we find out as the caretaker mm. with uh, Chakotay and Tuvok and plus a plus one, I think. Um, and Tom volunteers, and we kind of discuss that he wants to. He feels some kind of kinship with Harry, or feels like he wants to help. Um, and then we see Janeway uh, in discussion with the caretaker, mm. who's, he was quite funny. He's like, aren't you contentious for a minor bipedal species? That's a great line. <laughs> Which I enjoyed. Yeah. I love that line. Could, uh, could I just ask, in the context of the Star Trek universe, what constitutes a non-minor bipedal species? Uh, what are those people called, uh, Jenny, that do the hunting? Oh, um, the um, yeah, they're really oh scary, horrible things. Like, uh, the, they, 
Yeah, oh, but are they non minor? No, they yeah, they're not they're major. <laughs> I okay. guess what what makes them major as opposed to say like a species like and I'm going very tenuously here, say the Cardassians, the humans or the Romulans or what makes well, the huntery ones who we've still not named Oh, they're terrifying? Yeah. Terrigen. That was it. Terrigen. They're terrifying. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but would the caretaker describe them as a minor, uh, contentious minor bipedal species? He might. He might mm. He might think all bipedal species are um, minor. Because he was just a big blob in the end, right? And then a very little blob. <laughs> and then a little bit of rock. <laughs> I think the Herosian, for example, um, aren't they? Don't they have like a massive expanse of space? Yeah, yeah. a bit like the Borg. They own loads of like hmm. planets. I don't know, or they used to. Does anyone actually say yeah, they're a non-minor bipedal to... species? Huh? Does anyone actually say that the Herosian are a non-minor bipedal species? No, because they're not using the same words. <laughs> but I agree with Red. I would count them as if you're if you're looking for it. <laughs> A non-minor bipedal species. They're a good example, I think. But okay. you will, you will meet them. Okay. I hate yeah. that. I can't whole, get over how whole... much more amplitude you guys have on your sound than I do. Anyway, <laughs> must let it get to me. Um, uh, the caretaker it's not keeps about going on. Size, red. It's, what <laughs> it's what you do with it. Wow, that doesn't even do anything. Okay. <laughs> I don't know, mine's not as uh, not that loud either. Yours is it's Jamie is like the father bear. You're the mother bear. And I'm the baby bear. Baby bear, can we move the Star Trek podcast away from a mine's bigger than yours sort of comparison? Goldilocks are the three bears. Anyway. What what was anyone else thinking of? I don't know. Um Right then, I then we see Harry in the alien sick bay, and I think we see a bit of telepathy because those two accompanies yeah, are like yeah. you're okay, and we don't actually see them talking, right? I think. Yeah, and and then there's like because there, there's that bit later on where the senior accompany talks uh, yeah. again, um, talks to Kess, and she's like, they can't talk telepathically. That's <laughs> rude, and I yeah. really like that for some reason. No, like, I think it's great. Social niceties count. Um, but yeah, there, there isn't much... I mean, presumably telepathic species aren't that frequent in their universe that someone talking to them telepathically wouldn't be commented on. So a bit like, they seem to take this in their stride very well. Well, they were a bit out of it. I mean, do you mean Bellana and Harry? Yeah, yeah. No. When they're in um, sick base, just sort of waking up to the fact that they've been abducted, needled, found non-worthy of, um, you know, providing children for the caretaker and have a deadly sort of mass wart disease. They're having a bad day. It's a pretty yeah. bad day, yeah. I think in terms of character, we see, well, I kind of forget, but they don't actually know each other yet. So it took me a while to realize, like, later on, they kind of inter- like introduce each other. But at this point, we do get a hint of some of Bellana's anger issues as i will call them i don't know if that's but she's you know she's yeah. like trying, she's fighting she's trying to escape and harry's more just like taking in what's going on around them i don't see anything in balana's behavior to suggest an anger issue that would in any way be negative in any situation Not negative just uh she was more well, angry they, they do introduce <laughs> introduce her quite bluntly i feel like with it's really on the nose you're a half um 
uh, half Klingon. Angry half Klingon. <laughs> she, she, angry half Klingon. Yeah. She, she immediately you introduce her and she's immediately angry. And then she explains it's because of her half Klingon. And then she immediately says, um, you're right and calms down to show her human half too. So it's <laughs> nice, uh, nicely there. Uh, is, nice. is this a bit racist to say that Klingons aren't capable of self-control? Klingons are famously battle fierce and uh, brave, so I don't think that's um. Yeah, but in this instance, it's not. She's not being presented as battle fierce and brave. She's being presented yeah, as they're... irrationally angry. Well, and she's like irrationally angry. She's very rationally angry, but it's just like. Well, Kim. Kim isn't angry. We don't see his irrational for not being that angry. Maybe that is irrational. He's like and, trapped. You know, yeah, and actually, he should be um, angry. in in a lot of scenarios, Balana's response might be more successful. Yeah, uh, mm. you know, if she's been kidnapped and trapped, and if she was Klingon, she'd have more, a lot more strength than most species. So, yeah. for her to attack her kidnappers and try so to break does, out yeah. might be quite logical. So, why does she view that level of anger on her part negatively? That's what because I'm trying to say. Because she's not full Klingon, and so she, I guess, it's difficult for her to like sometimes, if she was. Full Klingon. I mean, it's my theory. Mm. And lived amongst Klingons, her behavior wouldn't be interpreted negatively. But because she was spends most of the time around humans, she has to mm. like kind of control it, work harder to control that because she can't just lash out at people because they're not just gonna like lash back. They're gonna be like, oh, why you know that was inappropriate or whatever. <laughs> uh. <laughs> the one sentence you will never hear of Star Trek that's inappropriate. <laughs> I, I, I bet, you could, I bet you'd hear it on the Orville. That's, that's possibly not human uh, so much as British. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm being actually honest. No, I, I'm sh- I mean, not to me, but I'm sure I've heard Americans going, that's inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, not to me, that's just in the again 90s, to be clear. The, sorry, was that too... That's how I... Yeah, that's it. Right? That's, I'd, I'd be the same. Yeah, and I, I love that. It's so... Just you know, that's inappropriate, and that is how it's going back to what you said earlier, right at the start, read about um, how in the Star Trek universe is how you imagine the adult world when you're a kid. Everyone's just sensible and decent, yeah. and you know, you know, tolerant of each other and patient, and that's why it's so wonderful. And it's such a shame it's not more like that in the real world. Really <laughs> is, is there a Me Too moment in the Star Trek universe? There is actually. Absolutely. <gasps> oh, amazing! But it's, quite, it's quite interesting. Um, that was written by. Jerry Taylor, because there's Jerry Ryan who plays Seven of Nine, and then Jerry Taylor, who was a writer, and she wrote it. But yeah, there's an interesting interview with her because she didn't really, I don't think that was necessarily her intention. Uh, but there is an episode that, again, all these things, I guess they're common themes, right? So these mm. themes crop up again and again. I mean, are you thinking of the same yeah. episode with um, Seven of Nine, maybe? And she. Well, I'm really, I, I didn't want to go jump ahead to a future podcast, but I'm interested to know which one that is. Um, uh, and yeah. I think it seems like there's a few that touch on that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Seven of Nine would definitely feature in that, wouldn't it? It would make sense. Um, I, I also think that going back to Balana, that there's an episode later on where you sort of find out a bit more why she might be, she sort of hates half of herself. And that's mm. part of her character arc. You see later on that she learns to love her Klingon half too, because there's benefits to the Klingon half, but because she grew up mm. in a, um, you know, um, in a human world, she's grown up thinking it's negative. Um, it's, you know, about self-acceptance, yeah. isn't it? And also now that I think about it, she did have parents who like split up 
you know, like, so that's something else that can feed into someone's view of themselves or their anger. I mean, I know she's like an adult in this show, so maybe that's that's a bit of a reach, but mm-hmm. it's like, there's, it's not just the Klingon aspect, it's maybe mm. feeling abandoned by a certain parent or you're not coming from a happy home. I mean, all these things, I believe, can impact mm. your, uh, your And she blames herself, them. doesn't she? Um, yes. As lots of true. kids do. Um, if their parents break up and the way she blames herself is that she blames it on her Klingon half scaring her dad away who is a human but in the real world that happens (laughs) with and you aren't half Klingon yeah Yeah, it it, it even happens to people who aren't in any way Klingon my goodness Uh, yeah but I'm sure we'll that's really interesting I I can't wait till we get to that episode Um, then I guess the caretaker gets irritated with these uh, minor bipedal species people and <laughs> sends them back to their ship. Um, uh, Can I oh, just yeah, say one last thing about that? Do you know what? It's a hilarious comment and it's a great, it's a great line. But also, I just love that they introduce that as a concept. You know, there's not this. I feel like sometimes it, nowadays it seems like. There's this narrative of humans are amazing and brilliant and we should be very proud of ourselves. And it's just, I think it's very um, nice to see. I don't really know why I can't articulate it. Um, The concept of, no, we're just, you know, one of Mm. many. Um, You know, it's a a miracle, I guess. No, not miracle is not the word. It's um, just (laughs) complete chance and evolutionary chance and that we're here at all. Um, and that we are just like a minor speck <laughs> in, yeah. the, in the universe. And I, I'm glad that they sort of feature that in, um, you know, and all, there's loads of aliens that they meet, not just the caretaker, that just see humans as like, you know, mm. <laughs> one of many. Um, I agree. I mean, it's a bit like the the phrase or the phrase that he uses, but like it gives that sense of like, seeing the earth from space and realizing, I guess, not that I've done this, but you get the impression of realizing, oh, how insignificant <laughs> or mm. where you, mm. because yes, I agree. I think it's, we are it's insignificant an... and life is much better when you just accept that personally. Yeah. And celebrate the things that are great about human. There's a lot to be proud of for yeah. sure. Um, yeah. But or being part of the Federation, of, if not human. Well, yeah. But also just have a bit of humility at the same time, no matter how sort of successful yeah. the, the Federation is in, in peacekeeping and, technology and anything you know eradicating poverty the whole lot like there's still always going to be other Mm, things out there that aren't understood it sort of is nice because it means that the the voyager crew isn't plot armored by always being able to fall back on I don't know, what would you call it? Decisively superior technology or decisively superior something to get them out of trouble. No, as you say, you're just one of this multitude Mm. of species in a massive universe and you're not so exceptional that there's a decisive sort of force difference to you and you and everything else in this area. Yeah. So I like that. Mm. And also, I guess the human problem, like, I mean, it's the federation of planets Mm. and species, right? So it's through cooperation. Not just. Mm. Um, it's eight o'clock, guys. I I can keep going. I okay. I mean, you know, I need battery. I think before. <laughs> okay, we keep going. Um, and then I'm, I might lose. Oh, I'm just going to Christmas tree. That's okay. That, just that's give me okay. One second. Your Christmas tree okay. is not I'll terrifying. Get water I like my Christmas tree. <laughs> 
Why did they both go ow? Hello. My gosh, I'm trying to read some of my notes. <laughs> and I can't. Just working out that apparently you need headphones to be able to hear people. <laughs> Sorry, is it okay to drink um, whilst doing this? I'm I'm having a glass of wine, so I'm actually drinking it quite slowly. I'm impressed with myself, considering we've been on this call yeah. for an hour and a half. Yeah. Just... I mean, I'm just I'd just like to point out that what I'm having, Australia Galicia, is a bloody good beer. Great ad, great ad. Great beer, <laughs> great beer. Galicia. I think I'm drinking some Chardonnay from McGinn's, whatever it's called. I don't know. The one in Sainsbury's. Was oh, that McGinn's from Sainsbury's? You were <laughs> I don't know that. if I've even said it right. So. They're not going to sponsor us. Um, right. Jenny, Jenny what, what brand of beer are you drinking? Is that Australia Galicia again? Oh, it's Australia Galicia. <laughs> don't laugh at my accent. Um, say a word. Back to Star Trek. So... There was a bit of like back and forth, but I guess the important thing is we hear. Um, oh my god! I wish I could. Oh yes, there's like Janeway's log, and also Janeway I think is talking to Tuvok, um, and Tuvok has analyzed the array, and he thinks that Harry and Balana on a on a planet, the fifth planet, mm. I think, on the surface of the planet. Yep. It's an M class planet, but it has no water, so there's been some like environmental disaster in the past. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Janeway talks about how she got a call from Kim's mother. I mean, learn another important backstory element: the clarinet. Yeah. <laughs> this is, I think, it comes up again. So. Um, oh so, my okay. goodness! Yeah, yeah, you, you many times. Yeah, yeah, many times. At least once. <laughs> uh, I always love I feel, to see. I feel. Uh, oh, Jamie's gone. <laughs> At least you're in the same house. Yeah. If he doesn't come back, we can find out. Jamie. Sorry, there was just a bit of an echo because of an open door. Oh. 
You know, we've lost your video. I'm aware of that. I turned off my video so that uh, everyone yeah. didn't see me, uh, you know, prancing around and your doing boxes? this podcast in a shirt, a full shirt and boxer shorts. <laughs> the Zoom um, look. I'm, I'm in full Zoom work mode, yes. Uh, nice. Everything below the waist is completely inappropriate. Um, and on that note, I just want to say, I always, again, love... Okay, I guess Janeway is one of my favorite characters. Tuvok is one of my favorite characters. Obviously, Janeway and Tuvok are <laughs> together. Always going to be one of my favorite things. Uh, but I, I do love their friendship and their respect that they have for each other, even though they're quite different. And we learn a bit more about... Um, Balkans, because she was like, oh, your family's worried about you. And he's like, Balkans, Balkans don't, don't worry. worry. And she's like, they miss you. And then he's like, okay, fine. And do you know what I... crosses my mind whenever I hear that one? is um, I think of missing someone as emotion as well. Yeah, I was going to say that. Like, aren't they supposed to... But they do have emotion. Okay, cool. Sorry. As someone so who, how... who, who identifies quite strongly with Balkans. Um, I think it's like... They have emotions. I think in the history they had like very uh, volatile emotions, and it was like very difficult for their species until so they like got control. Um, but I think they they it's illogical to worry about someone because you worry doesn't achieve anything. Oh, I see. How does missing it's, someone achieve something? Missing is still an emotion, but it's because they're very logical. So there's like no point in someone worrying about what's happening to you because they can't affect or change anything. By just no worrying. point in missing someone because you can't affect or change what's happening. Oh, missing isn't trying to do that. Nor like is missing worrying. is just an emotion that you experience. Worry is a thought pattern. Is it? I think so. I don't think worrying is an Yeah, emotion. you know what? I think what they actually say, now I think about it, is that so she, he says, when she says um, they are worrying about you, he says, um, I think you've missed... You, you, you're wrong. They wouldn't be worrying. <laughs> you wouldn't perceive them as worrying. And she says they miss you, and that he accepts because um, they're not showing an emotion of missing him. It's just that the, the fact is they miss him. Yeah. Mm. Does that make, could that be the way they? The, I, I, it's the only way I can think of that would make sense to me because I'm like, how is worrying different from missing in a emotion? Mm. What, what is? I I'm not convinced by this chain of logic. To be honest with you. Um, That's okay. Which sounds like the sort of thing on. that Tuvok would say. Um, so I, I think it's wise to move past my no, but I lack do of think understanding. Worrying and missing are not. Um... I can feel worried. It doesn't mean I need to be worried about anything in particular. No, that's anxiety. Which is. Is it? Yeah, is it? I also think maybe it's just like Lord. They they miss him as in like <laughs> his physical being. Yeah. He's not there, and therefore he's mm. missing from the family unit. And mm. in that sense, it's not an emotion. <laughs> but obviously, that's not the way Janeway meant it. So, actually, <laughs> yeah, maybe we have to. I'm sure this will come up again, because um, the whole logic emotion thing is uh, yeah. always interesting. Uh, I think then we see a debris field, and we're now about 43 minutes in. So just so you know, <laughs> and we see we meet Neelix. Mm. Um, who I do love. I don't think it's a character I don't love, but um, yeah, I I am like really, really sort of impressed. Within thirty seconds of being a bloke who will literally sell his metaphorical behind for water, he's managed to manipulate an entire Starfleet crew into bribing a hostile techno barbarian race to save his girlfriend. 
and get her out without actually sort of mentioning any of this. He's he's pretty yeah, effective he as an operator. Sneaky. Yeah, he's an effective operator. And then they're like, yeah, we're, at the end of the episode, they're like, yeah, we're going to trust you on board, even though you've managed to manipulate <laughs> us to basically declare war with the Kazon to save your girlfriend. That's that's not bad going. I'm impressed with that. I think that sums it up very well. I but, think he's um, got street smarts, hasn't he? He's like yeah. the antithesis to um, yeah. Tuvok. He hasn't yes. got the sort of in- in logical intelligence and academic training and all yeah. this stuff, but he's got the street smarts. <laughs> I, do, I do find it a bit weird that Tuvok, as like first officer, is going and doing the whole towel thing. That's... Oh, yes. Uh, well, I, just before we get there, quickly, there was a funny line, which I thought was great, but uh, when Captain Janeway introduces herself, herself to Neelix, did you... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Captain Catherine Janeway of the Federation Starship Voyager, and Neelix is like, very impressive title. I have no idea what it means, but it sounds very impressive. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I also love... I could be Neelix in so many situations, because I don't get titles. Yeah. I've never understood police titles, army titles, yeah. captain titles... And when he's like egging up the fact he's about to ask her for a bribe to basically help them out, and he builds up and builds up and builds up to it, and you're expecting it to be like something along the lines of powdered unicorn mixed with um, ground dragon's teeth, and Captain Jamie's like, "Yeah, what is it? What are you going to ask?" Her? And he's like, "Water." I love that. I think as a That's kid, funny. I probably was so thrilled by that because it was like so clever because mm. we take water so for granted and then it makes mm. you realize how alien, I guess, the yeah. space or place mm. is because yeah. water is like this. It, it reminds me um, of Dune. Do you, did you read the yeah. Frank yeah. Herbert oh, yeah. books? Um, it's a sci-fi uh, series that is... Um, oh, you should read them, Red. They're fantastic. And actually, yeah. that a lot of people say a lot of Star Wars and all kinds were sort of took a lot of inspiration from those oh, anyway it's, and it's the Warhammer 40,000 universe it, it's on other planets and it's an alien race and everything but it's um desert planets so water mm. is like i don't know what this equivalent is it's like gold dust you know it's oh yeah it's water. a bit like tank girl <laughs> which i have watched i think I, what is tank girl ah it's a classic we can uh Watch that. And, uh, <laughs> I'm loving how many random cultural references to niche series are just sort of coming up. It's reminding me to watch stuff. Do you know earlier when you were talking about the yeah. female leadership thing and were there any other programs during that period? And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I agree, Red, there's hardly any. Do you know what crossed my mind, though? Buffy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. Buffy. Buffy. Oh, no. I could there's... never get into Buffy, sadly. Yeah. And there's one series, whenever we talk about sort of niche series from sci-fi there's always one that i want to watch and never quite get around to watching cowboy bebop really like really okay. really want to actually watch that i've never heard of it oh. uh, yeah, one of my best friends adores buffy and then my sister and her boyfriend actually watched buffy recently um and they loved it i think oh, during, one, so of the lockdowns, it hasn't aged. I think during one of the lockdowns i tried and I'll try again one day. Oh. Well, maybe it's one of these things that part of the reason, like Voyager, that I love it is because it, you grew up with it. That's the thing. It's hard to tell yeah. as objectively whether someone else would enjoy it if, or if it's just a sentimentality well, thing. Well, Gabby hadn't I watched it before it. and she loved it. Um, so from Neelix, I think we kind of get a hint that uh, this whole bringing ships into this Delta Quadrant is it like has happened before. So we start to understand that this, this is something that's mm. not happened. Um, a little fun fact for you. I don't know if you noticed because he was up on that like big screen. Uh, if you saw his eyes, um, Neelix's eyes. He has enormous eyebrow. Yeah, his uh, contact lenses were are hand painted. 
Oh. Wow. They used to hand paint the contact lenses for him. Um, and he wore them for like most seasons. But I think towards the end, he had to stop wearing them because they were like damaging his eyes. Oof. But hand, wow. I mean, wow, I find that. Yeah. It's a hell of a costume he had to wear. There's the, the oh. facial prosthetics. Yeah. Oh. He did have to, I feel like, I'll, again, during lockdown or COVID, I got deep into some of this stuff. Um, and I th- he definitely probably had to be on set. I think he had to be on set at like 4 a.m. every morning or something to get into costume. Um, uh, this prosthetic and makeup done. Um, oh, yes. And then when Neelix is transported across to Voyager and he's like, has his arms raised, like waiting <laughs> on this like um, spiritual you know, moment, which was quite funny. It, there are moments mm. when Neelix reminds me of my dad. Oh, <laughs> he's, oh I'm so, he's, 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 oh, he's, oh, this is exactly a dad thing. Yeah. Oh, okay then. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine my dad reacting in the same way. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It brings good dad energy to it. I could imagine mine as well, to be honest. Um, and then, yes, the bath scene. Um, so, Nulox. Nulox at Tuvok. I mean, Nulox comes across as a bit of a hoarder in this particular scene because he's sort of hoarded like all these sort of floral jars full of water piled on top of each other. <laughs> Oh, and then he's sort of hoarding water bad. in this bathtub, surrounded yeah. by yet more jugs of water. You know, I have to. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't actually. I mean, I knew. He, I kind of got the impression he was making the most of yeah. the his time. But um, Neelix and Tuvok remind me of myself, me as Tuvok, and my friend Tammy from South Africa. Because I would think I was always like the very serious, like. <laughs> Okay, enough fun, everybody. <laughs> this party is not for fun. Uh, People aren't supposed to be enjoying like, this. More free spirited, and so they always remind me for some uh-huh. reason of the two. Like, uh, she would probably be horrified to hear that. But um, what to be described as the fun free spirited one? Yeah, that's, that's very insulting. Of me. That's very that's insulting. What, yeah. I'm like, I'm surprised yeah. I had any friends, but. <laughs> I um I, I, I definitely I did for two book not for this for different reasons though not not the sort of non fun Jamie element. that noise sorry oh. Stop. sorry <laughs> um, but yeah I think the reason I did identify two book is his not being able to understand some human human behaviors that are not logical <laughs> so yeah I, mean, I often many... find myself wondering why on earth someone's doing something because it doesn't make logical sense um in everyday life exactly exactly i mean i think i think he's a great character i think he's played so well by tim russ who i wanted to get my photo taken with and then he didn't turn up but then i had it with nana visitor so i can't complain um then i think we are back on the surface of the planet uh, yeah. and harry and like Balana kind of meet properly and she explains i think we covered mm. this you know she's angry because she's off <laughs> oh yeah um can and we s- yeah can i say just uh, am i the only one who gets a slightly hobbit colony vibe from the acumpa down there oh sort of totally fancy in- hobbit <laughs> yeah but to- totally sort of insular um you know very sort of I don't know. They look slightly shazzy. I didn't, but I can see why you are saying that. I guess. And also, I just remembered I actually have a microphone. Anyway, next time. Um, 
that's what you get from a Hobbit vibe. Uh, sorry, my brain. But I did love their. I know they were subterranean, but I love their subterranean uh, surroundings. Yeah, yeah, they were really plush, weren't they? Like yeah. they weren't dark. It it did give that impression of superior, not super, non minor, non bipedal. Deus Ex Machina species has arranged this little environment for them to sort of see their way through the environmental apocalypse they've inflicted above them. It does give that vibe of they've set them up in some mini eco-paradise with massive waterfalls and light and things like that. Yeah, yeah I thought it was really beautiful. Hmm. Um, what, um, what does... Do we ever find out if anything happens to the main accompanied civilization? after everyone leaves well i guess they'll have enough i guess that's well we can because they only have always skip years. ahead but as no, no, janeway no, 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 no. says in her speech to the caretaker they mm. probably can take care of themselves you're just underestimating them mm. okay interesting because she's all about you know self-sufficiency giving people letting people get on with it mm. <laughs> mm. um uh, and then I think at this point we find out that the con- like Harry and Bellona are actually quite sick and their condition is serious and no one has else has ever uh, recovered from yeah. that. Uh, we go back to Voyager and uh, Neelix comes up with a plan to go back to the surface at a specific spot that where he knows he suspects that the Harry and Bellona are. Mm. And or, or is, is that does he actually suspect that, or is that what he tells? Well, yes, I mean, crew just to get them there to you know correct <laughs> <laughs> incite conflict. Very good point. Um, and then we have the away team, which is Janeway, Chakotay, Tom Paris, Neelix, and Tuvok, and maybe mm-hmm. some other others. And we meet the Kazon and Kess. Yeah, and Kess. Mm. Um, and they're the ones who wanted the water. And then I wasn't quite sure. Was it because Neelix had possibly stolen their water before? Because he was like, oh, I'm just returning the water I borrowed. But mm. they were not that happy to see him. Yeah. And and there's not much around how he and Kess are sort of an item. If no, they it's are. not much. And I don't think they become... There's not much later. It's just you have to accept yeah. it as fact. Jenny, what are you... Oh, yeah, I don't remember much about their backstory. Yeah, I don't think you yeah. get much backstory, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I, don't think, I don't think there is much, you know, because she lives for like eight years, doesn't she? Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're not very good weird. slaves or whatever. Yeah. What does the guy say? Because they only live nine years. Or yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the Kazon really don't come across as very nice. As You know, there's that comment of they're dreadful slaves and they only live nine years. And then there's the whole, I've used every form of persuasion. Yeah. Pan well, over to Kess, whose face is like very, very bruised. Um, yeah, they—they—that's not. They don't seem like a nice, cuddly species to be friendly with. Do the case on. What do we think about their hair? Entirely different. <laughs> Probably always, their most positive me, facet. They remind me of coral. Every time I see their heads, <laughs> I feel like I'm looking at the coral. Yeah. Yeah. Very um, strange. Yeah. But again, we we have to applaud Neelix for the adroitness with which yeah. he engineers a conflict between two absolutely alien species to him without knowing any of the emotional levers or drivers of the uh, Starfleet crew and uses it to rescue his other half. That 
is just hats off, chapeau. I can't be the only one here impressed with that. No, super impressed because he comes across as like kind of a little bit of a baffling buffoon. I mean, baffling? Yeah. Baffling? I don't know. <laughs> Again, serious Hobbit vibes and not very many yes, sort of shit. Yes, he has some I'm Hobbit a, vibes. I'm a Machiavellian spymaster vibe. I agree. So I think you summarized that up brilliantly. So I'm happy to move on if, unless there's anything else. Um, then I guess we go back to Harry and Balana and they meet someone who kind of gives them those that medicine and like mm. tells them how they might be able to escape through these tunnels, ancient tunnels. Mm. And then we're back on Voyager and the sick bay and Linux is getting, um, I think the British say bollocking from Tuvok. <laughs> is, um, is that a technical term? No. Um, and then, uh, how rude is this? The doctor protests because he's like, the only one that should be in here is my patient. Uh, and he's like upset that uh, Neelix and Kez are getting into like, trouble. And Janeway's like, issues the command, commute to end holographic program. <laughs> <laughs> how many times over the length of uh, Star Trek Voyager will he go on to save her life, do you reckon? You know, I find it quite interesting in her story arc that she takes a long time to accept him as anything else than like a, in my opinion, hmm. um, medical hologram. Yeah. Yeah, she, Interesting. she really, I feel like, takes longer than I would have expected. But that's, we can cover that later. Mm. Mm. That's a great story arc, that yeah. you know, doctor yeah. being accepted as a, as a person. Yes. Mm. But uh, she switches him off. And, she switches you know, him off. She's like, I'm, yeah. I will You're not a person. Well, yeah, 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 I I like it because it covers two things. It's got the comic value (laughs) um, because, you know, the Doctor is a bit annoying. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Being able to switch you off is kind of, you know, cathartic. But also it it shows right right at the start, he is just like a toaster. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And she's the boss. And, of course, that dramatically changes when you look back. Yeah, definitely. So she just made me laugh with he's a toaster. (laughs) Someone at some point compares him to a toaster, or he compares himself to a toaster. I can't really remember, but <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, it does make it very clear that he's just something you can turn on and off. And but I was still like, wow, that's so rude. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think they ask Kes for help for finding these missing crewmen again, or Harry and Planet. And then next we see them in the. Um, underground garden I got a bit hazy here because some details as I said just don't sink in but they meet some accompanies we have that uh, telepathic moment again that you mentioned earlier Jamie yeah it's rude to talk telepathically <laughs> to me when people can't hear you um they find out that statement uh, heard from countless marriages sorry Karen <laughs> Harry and Kim are at the central clinic um I guess some accompanies want to help them some are resisting that for their own mm. their own beliefs about what they think is happening. Well, although un- unusually, um, like the conservative, oh, we must respect the will of the gatekeeper faction, come around pretty easily compared to some <laughs> sort of sci-fi franchises in this one. Because the chap saying, oh, we must respect the wishes of the gatekeeper, doesn't actively try and obstruct them after saying that once. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. But I does... think it's, I think it's just a bit of a device for Kez to be able to give a monologue. 
and then because then she she comes and she explains about how the acampans have become completely not self-sufficient mm. just taking care from their caretaker mm. when they should be able to take care of themselves um yeah. and it's a it's, bit of a jumping off point for that it's is there some mention that they might have some more psychic or telepathic powers than are oh yeah on show and uh-huh. it's sort of dismissed as parents fables and things like that well yeah i mean they the apocryphal what apocryphal <laughs> good word apocryphal sorry well, uh, I, love, because... I love the way it might be you know apothecal as though it's from an apothecary <laughs> sorry, <I don't> know. <laughs> um because again that's not to give too much away, but that Kez's story arc, uh, part of it is exploring some of those powers. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so now I think everyone is slowly making their way to these ancient tunnels, <laughs> which mm-hmm. have some security. So um, Balan and Harry have made their way to the tunnels. Um, mm. They're climbing up. Harry seems to lose hope at one point, and he's like, it's my first away mission, and I'm going to die, basically. because he's not half Klingon. <laughs> and <laughs> then Valana shares that she actually went to Starfleet, and they have that little bonding moment over that annoying professor or whatever, which is quite sweet. Um, and then we find out that the array is changing behavior, so back on... Well, I'm not quite sure where, where this happens, actually, I didn't make a note. But Tuvok shares his hypothesis that the caretaker is actually dying. Um, and he thinks that explains everything that they've seen. And could then Dana, I... oh, sorry, sorry, quickly Nene... gets it because she's like, if he dies, then how the hell are we supposed to get home? <laughs> That's a question. I, I would like to suggest that Tuvok injects an awful lot more certainty into his hypothesis than is warranted by well, he was the circumstantial certain. nature of the information available. Listen, I was going to stand up for Tuvok because, as I said, but he gives a lot of evidence, I which feel, I have I lost over here. he falls short of the evidential standard you normally show in discussion, Red. <laughs> and I am disappointed to find you lining up behind him in this instance, he where made I feel so he's many let points. Both One could almost argue with, down. for TV, he made too many points. I would say. <laughs> um, okay, but but he presents the hypothesis and sort yeah. of progresses. I the mean, plot. yeah, because he's like, well, yeah. Um, as I said, everyone kind of lands up in the tunnels. Um, a bunch of them reach the top first. So that's like uh, Tom, Neelix, Harry, and Balana. Then the array like sends some kind of power that disrupts or impacts mm-hmm. the planet, and then um, Tom decides he's going to go back for the others. Mm. I thought Neelix had another good line here because you can see he's quite reluctant, but he's like, "If a fool needs company, <laughs> like volunteering himself to go back." Yeah. But I think he could see he doesn't really want to go back, yeah. but he does. Yeah. He comes across well this episode, does Neelix? Actually, compared he's great. to sort yeah. of just. He shows more depth of character than you think just getting a feel for his personality from a few conversations early on. Yeah, I think the guy who played him is a really good actor. I mean, mm. really, um, mm. But I'm, I'm not an acting expert, so I can't comment yeah. too much. Okay. Um, then uh, in a tunnel, it turns out Chakotay's leg has been broken. Um, so Neelix... 
and Janeway get Tuvok out and it's up to Paris to rescue mm. Chakotay. So it's a yeah. whole banter. <laughs> there's there's this whole don't India and yeah he basically is trying to suggest to him if he saves his life, ah, oh, I'm gonna hold this over you for so long, sort of thing. Um, and he reminds him of that at several points. Uh, yeah. If I save your butt, your life belongs to me. I think it's one of the lines from this in this scene. Yeah, but it yeah. comes up again. Yeah, mm. um, gives gives him an opportunity, gives Chicote an opportunity to then actually um, have to forgive Tom for his yeah. past mistakes because it's, it's he saved a, his life. So they're going to have to be friends now. Yeah, <laughs> and and it's a little bit sinister when they sort of uh, get actually do get out and all end up back on the starship. And um, the captain basically says to Tom Paris, yeah, Chakotay is basically saying that if you piss him off, he's going to have you disappeared. Although it's actually put down as uh, Chakotay says he takes personal responsibility for you continuing <laughs> in the land of the living. That is interesting to see how you interpreted that line. <laughs> I mean, others may have a far more positive interpretation that, uh, yes, does more justice to the spirit in which it was offered. No, I'm just so naive. Um, but yeah. No, no, no. Then we're back on Voyager, and I think we have the Kazon, um, who don't want to let the hail a Voyager. They don't mm. want Voyager near the array. There's like, I think mm. it starts a fight scene or battle scene. Yeah. Um, while they're fighting, Jamie and Tuvok beam back to the array, I guess, to try and negotiate with the caretaker again. Yeah, he's dying. Um, and that's when they have that chat, which I guess hints at what might happen in the future because he's really concerned about the the Ocampa. Mm. He feels personal responsibility for what his species did unintentionally yeah. a thousand years ago. And there's and there's an important plot device, isn't there? Because he said, oh, I've initiated a self-destruct sequence to stop uh, yeah. the Ocampa being vulnerable to the Kazon. Um, the Kazon shoot a couple of times at the array and suddenly the self-destruct sequence is gone and he's like, you guys have you guys, uh, oh. Janeway and Tuvok. You have to take the choice to destroy the array to keep it out of um, Kazon hands and protect the Akampa. But Tuvok has previously said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll be able to activate it to fire us off back to where we came from." So it places the great moral choice of the episode on Catherine Janeway of. Does she get her crew home, but you know, condemn five thousand plus accompans to living in effectively servitude at best, or just all being slaughtered by the Kazon at worst? Or you know, does she protect them but surround her crew? Seven, what seventy thousand light years the far side of the galaxy, and we also find out that the caretaker is from another galaxy, and also that he basically was getting people so that he could see if their uh, genetics were compatible with his to breed from, so that he could get a replacement him to keep looking after the Akampa. And it's all sort of wrapped up while in this dialogue with this massive sort of shiny gelatinous block that's slowly <laughs> shrinking. Um, and I didn't think you could have an emotional moment with a giant gelatinous blob, but he manages it. Yeah, that was a brilliant summary, Jamie. Great. Not as good as yours. Sorry, sorry. Can I ask my question yeah. about the yes. general dilemma? Now, I had to write it down because it's kind of complicated. <laughs> but here we go. If Janeway was okay to violate the Prime Directive by destroying the array to save the Acampa, 
why not violate it to A, take control of the array, B, help the acamper to develop their defensive capabilities to survive without the caretaker so they can defend themselves against the Kazon, and then C, use the array to go home with a self-destruct set for when they get home. So effectively turn them from a peace-loving, isolated race with no arms capability into an expansionist, technologically equipped race with arms capability, able to conquer everyone in the area, all whilst holding on to the array against unspecified numbers of potentially plot-armoured Kazon in potentially unlimited numbers in invading waves. I think that is a good question. Well, I think maybe just the amount of time it would take to achieve yeah. that. Mm. I mean, for me, for me, I I think the uncertainties that Janeway faces of how do you know that about 600 Kazon ships aren't going to turn up and force them off the array sort of forces her hand slightly. It's a case of, mm. and, and if you, you know, send your crew off, you know, back to, uh, yeah, back to home, well, yeah, you are effectively giving that array to the Kazon and thus effectively the upper hand over uh, the Akampa, aren't you? And because of the fact you don't know if the Kazon are going to turn up in overwhelming force, so I can't believe I'm doing military strategy on uh, one episode <laughs> of Star Trek. I'm so sorry. It just seems yeah. a bit of a drastic action to me to be like, well, this is the only option to violate the Prime Directive, destroy another alien's um, technology, hmm. strand the crew there. Um, is it a violation it, of the Prime Directive if that alien has already interacted with you? So was the Prime Directive not to interfere with the natural not course of aliens' evolution? Yeah. But she's not interfering with. Oh, the they can't give them. Then they can't really give them like weapons. Yeah. Because they can't like disturb the balance of power. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but isn't like a... the array doing that? Not really, because it maintains the existing balance of power. Because the accompans remain, you know, unmolested, and the Kazon remain undominant. The sort of current hierarchy remains. No? Yeah, this, I don't think I can answer this question. I can just say I like the line she gave to Tuvok, which was like, we never asked to be involved, Tuvok, but we are. So she's like, because when he was like, we mm. should follow the prime directive, as acknowledging that they're more mm. up than they would like to be. Yeah, that's mm. the thing. I think it kind of it's kind of seems as if Tuvok is suggesting that course of action that I just mm. outlined. Yeah. But they gloss over it very quickly in that one exchange. And I'm always curious as to why, it, to me, that seems like the most sensible course. <laughs> like, mm. You know, you, you achieve all your objectives, like, you you know, and if she's going to, the only reason not to do that is because it's violating mm. prime directive, but then she's going to do that, she's going to be violating it anyway, so. Um, she gets accused of violating the prime directive quite a lot. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and then there's one episode where someone asks her if she's ever violated it. Um, I can't remember who, who it is, mm. but she goes something like, um, you know, I've I've flirted with the line, but never violated it. <laughs> I just think mm. that can't be true. Can That's it? not true. Really violated it many times. Yeah. <laughs> Different um, situation. 
but uh, we did skip a little scene, which I did enjoy, which was, well, I think it was before that, which was when Chakotay um, flies his ship into the big Kazon warship and then is beamed out just in time that he nearly sacrifices himself. So, mm. And um, the, there's that nice little moment that as he steps off the uh, teleporter, he sort of comradely pats the Starfleet officer, uh, which sort of makes you think like, oh, maybe they could work together. Maybe maybe there's legs in this, you know, they combine forces thing. Yeah, exactly. I missed that, but mm. yeah, that makes sense. Do you mm. want to discuss that question anymore, Jenny, before we move on? No, no. I mean, it was just a question for you guys, really, because I wanted to, yeah, I was interested in your opinions. It's I think it's like hard because I have such rose-tinted glasses about Voyager that I'm always like, they did the right thing. She did the right thing. Mm. <laughs> but um, one of the biggest criticisms of her as a captain is that she gets her crew stranded 70,000 light years away. But I've always like, my response to that is like, that was the, they had to write something for, that was the whole point <laughs> of the show. Like, it's yeah. not her personal feeling. It's like. Yeah, you know, and like, you, you can't. It's not because you know, she's a woman they got stranded seventy thousand light years away. Um, yeah, because that's how and they had to it's, kick off the series. I, I mean, I really disagree with that criticism of her as a captain and a leader because, you know, if the how many people are there on board a Starfleet ship? The numbers change, but let's say one hundred and fifty. One hundred and fifty lives of one hundred and fifty Starfleet people versus how many people are there in an accompanied underground colony? You said five thousand. I don't know where you got that. Number I don't know. From. I don't know where I get that number from. And you know, yeah, yeah, more than a. Stop you know, there's 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 a straight up rational numbers choice there, and yeah, that that's not a choice. It's presumably not just numbers as well, because it's their home planet, isn't it? It's the yeah. entire species potentially, and. Mm. Yeah, out. her choice makes absolute sense to me. I can't see why anyone criticise her leadership on that basis if the choice was as stark as that. Well, because if she followed my plan, <laughs> she, they would be safe and the crew would get home and the Kazan would never get the array. <laughs> it's easy to come up with yeah. alternatives when you're not in Yeah, but charge. they'd have stayed there for long enough to militarise an entire civilization. Do you <laughs> that's, not think they'd... that's not a good outcome. <laughs> Do you not think they could have given them some I mean, form of defensive capabilities? Oh, but they're without... not allowed to give any um, technology, right? Yeah. yeah, that's true. Although they still apparently give water to loads of people. I think they, there are other episodes where um, they provide, they help alien species um, defend themselves. Um, they give them stuff mm. to help them defend themselves. Mm. Um, but Only I can't one really time with the Herogens, do they give them the holographic technology so they can hunt but not actually kill people but then i think it backfires down the line mm. <laughs> actually the, and there is another there's, there's another episode where actually it shows why they shouldn't do that because there's, there's some there's some long dead species that and they find a load of them asleep uh, yes, underground was, yeah. and they they told that they just want a home but then it turns out that really they were scary militaristic yeah. Um, aggressive species, and once they help them, they start to yeah. take over again. The Pandora's anyway. box. Yes, I never really yeah. know how to use that phrase, but I just did. Um, Sound a bit like Saracens fans, really. <laughs> um, back on the on Voyager, Jamie hails the Kazon and tells them, warns them that she's going to destroy the array. 
obviously they don't like that. Balana doesn't like that either because she says something like, who's she to make this decision? And then Chakotay's like, she's the captain. <laughs> Which mm. I like. <laughs> I, I am a bit like in the scenes that follow that as well. You know, there's this whole we're all coming together, but why are they... She says, one crew, a Starfleet crew. And I'm like, how do the Marquis feel about that? Like, surely they could work together without being, like, a Starfleet crew. Oh, yeah, that's an interesting point. I think back in the day, change management was a lot easier, Jamie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I'm just saying this is a pretty radical cultural shift to throw on people who haven't really, you know, gotten behind the values pyramid. So. Yeah, but she has also done, I think she's like shown willingness by promoting Chakotay t- as her first officer. You know, so if he is the first officer, then they are the combined crew. Should yeah. she really call them a Starfleet crew? That is an interesting mm-hmm. point, but I think. Um, the reality is they're going to all have to function um, together under one system, mm-hmm. and Chakotay's lost his ship, and there's he's a less small crew. So even if you're just talking purely in terms of. Like, they, you know, True. Interesting. Um, I just quite like some of the leather clothing, all the uh, marquee wear. That's all. <laughs> I feel it's a loss to fashion that uh, they turn into one Starfleet crew. That is true. That is true. Um, but yeah, and then when you like find out that it's going to take them seventy-five years to get back home, mm. um, it's a long time. Obviously, she says they're going to try shortcut, find a shortcut. Do you know what I um one thing that I always would have liked throughout the whole series is if they had could just be a bit clearer in updating us on how many years they had left. Because there's so many elements which this knocks off five years, this knocks off seven years, and you you forget where they are and (laughs) how many years they've got left and it's nice to no. Yeah, to go back on Red's point that change management was a bit simpler there, I just also feel that maybe they weren't into critical path management. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, oh, and we also didn't comment on that fact that Neelix and Kez decide they want to stay and convince Janeway that they should stay. Again, I guess because Neelix is actually an evil genius and can always get what he wants. Yep. Just need to look cuddly enough. <laughs> Just look at those corgis. And Paris is assigned to the con. I also never, that was a term I never really quite understood. But, um, yeah. Con, is that like that. control? He's yeah. The, he's, the, he's the pilot, right? I don't know what. Oh. Yes. Oh, God, I've accidentally Googled the wrong thing. Sorry. Instead of Google, I accidentally typed F Google. Um, which sent me somewhere with a red background that I don't want to look at. <laughs> uh, you have the con meaning. Oh, it's C-O-N-N or con. Oh. Uh, I've got the con. Husband. What does it mean when a captain says you have the con? Cons. Duty of directing a ship usually used with the verb to have or to take. The con of the vessel. Oh, it, it must be a, so like an abbreviation. Yeah, where's I, I, thought, right, I think it would be controls, wouldn't it? Because these are spaceships, but back when you had aeroplanes, <laughs> I've no. It's 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 from it's a variant of con from Middle English conduen condien, from Anglo-Norman conduir, and from Latin conduco to lead, bring, or draw together. You have the con basically means wow. it is from that to direct a ship. 
to superintend this. Uh, Wikipedia is amazing. I'm so glad I donated £12 to it about six months ago. <laughs> it asked me for three, but I donated 12 Wow. And Wikipedia is a bloody great site. It's very informative. Okay. I just you think can... it's a great website. Wikipedia is. it. Yeah, I was ready to go with control. Wow, that's mm, not like it Mm-hmm. Um, Wikipedia could be wrong for the record. It might be everything you guys say. Well, we were sup- supposing, suppositioning, I don't know the word, but uh, yeah, interesting. Um, so, any comments? Oh, Jenny, was that your main question, or did you have an- another question for the end of part two? That was my main question. Yeah, oh, I just, okay. I just felt like she could have achieved all of their objectives. <laughs> she listened to any you. Negatives. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I guess you can. This counter argument. Counter argument. She achieved everything the mission was supposed to achieve in retrieving Tuvok, which was the entire point of the mission in the first ah, place. Mission complete. <laughs> Checkmate. <laughs> yeah, no one said it had to be in the same like time zone or whatever. Yeah. No one even said it was a Starfleet mission. It could have just been you to retrieve Tuvok for your crew compliment. Ah. Well, I, I like that ending. Redefining success. We forgot to summarize the episode at the beginning, but Jamie, next time, I want to definitely make you do that. Um, I have one, did you know? <gasps> yes. Hit me. Hit us. Did you know that Kate Mulgrew was not the original Captain Janeway? <gasps> who was and they actually filmed they started filming with someone else yeah wow who? an actress called Genevieve Bougeau that is B-U-J-O-L-D so I don't know how to pronounce it it's French a French Canadian actress who was in a lot of art house films in the 60s and 70s so I'm not sure why she got cast as oh wow because the official reason why she left after one and a half days filming was that she w- couldn't take the pace of TV, um, <laughs> t- uh, television production and filming. Because she has, yeah, she has got quite a hard, serious face. Um, yes, I think because they were like, when she's doing the captain had a phase female of. captain, they were probably looking for someone who would be taken seriously. But hmm. interesting. Hmm. You should read up on it because. Uh, there are some things that I won't say on here because I obviously don't know if they're true or not. But <laughs> All right. What does Wikipedia say about her that may or may not be true? I could just imagine it. it's a culture shock if you used to be in some art house movies to go to like broad mm. like network TV or broad I don't know what the terms are, broadcast television and Okay. And apparently yeah, one of the rumors was that she didn't like working with directors she didn't know. <laughs> like, well, then how's that going to work? Because what happens when you meet a new director? Yeah, a, a new director films every episode. I mean, they have like a rotation of directors, but you know, they, some mm. total random person can come in and direct. Oh, hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, I learned a lot by listening to the Delta Flyers podcast. To be honest, <laughs> so I can always recommend. Yeah. Oh, it's a good thing you you do because, like, otherwise this would just be free ignorance and. With you listening to the Delta Flood podcast, it's two ignorance and someone who knows what she's talking about. No, no. Um, that was amazing. Yeah, I, I really, I really had enjoyed fun. talking. I've I've never actually talked about an episode that I've watched, um, like in detail of about any series before. This is really interesting, sort of dissecting it this way. 
Do you oh, reckon yeah. we could do a parallel podcast on the no. way of water? No, I'm not right. Re- oh, that's just a film, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't. It's probably about five hours long. I don't know yeah. or care enough about film. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Jenny. Any one? I I listen to a lot of podcasts, and um, sometimes they end really abruptly, which is something I want to try oh. um, avoid. But <coughs> sorry. Any closing thoughts or favorite moments from the episode? Hmm. Uh, no, because I think uh, whilst it does, an ex- it does an excellent job of setting the scene, of establishing why they're there, introducing all the characters, all this stuff, I think there are later episodes that um, have really fantastic uh, yes. like formats and one-liners and character developments and things. So I'm looking forward to talking about those. But it's a good, it's a good starter. Mm-hmm. And back to our artwork. Um, I don't know if you can, you probably can't see it on the screen now, <sighs> but um, you probably saw it when you logged in. Um, did you notice it was three salamanders podcasting? Oh, yeah. Um, Jenny, do you get the reference? I do. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's a bit um, dodgy. <laughs> Yeah, is the well, salamander one where they're all like accidentally having sex as salamanders well, and children? I don't want to say children. I was using, do you know Dali or whatever the the text to image AI tool? Oh no! Uh, so because I was like, well, how are we going to get like some cover album art? I don't know what the term is. And then I was like, oh, maybe I can experiment with that. It actually took a lot of tries to get what I finally. I mean, we can change it obviously, but then at some point. I tried like three people sitting on the edge of Voyager podcasting as it travels through space, but like obviously the three people didn't look like us, so it didn't make a lot of sense. Um, and I tried lots of things, and then I was like, "Oh, what about three salamanders podcasting?" And then I was like, "Maybe the podcast could be called like Janeway's Children." <laughs> um, I don't think that's a good title, just for the record, but. Um, I think the cover art is kind of funny, but uh, we can change it. But uh, no, it was I think actually it's great idea. It was. I'm ha- oh, we don't actually have a name for this, so give it a thought. But um, yeah, it was fun to use that tool, but it actually took quite a lot of iterations to get something and useful. Um, Maybe we should but... incorporate salamanders into the title somehow. <laughs> the voyage well... of the salamanders. <laughs> not that, not that, but you know what I mean, like something. Yeah, uh, actually. Yeah. I- I think that's quite good. So uh, give it a thought. Voyager chameleons. Salamanders. It has to be salamanders. salamanders. <laughs> Sorry. Can't we pretend they're chameleons? No, because okay, no, then there's no reference to the, the particular Sorry, episode. Sorry, Jamie, this is a fu- alludes to a future episode, which we don't want to give away because it's too good. Fair I actually, enough. I, um, I absolutely love the concept. I can't actually see the artwork because it's so yeah. tiny. Um, oh, yeah. Okay, I'll send it. I'll send it to you. Awesome. I'll email it to you. I bet it's brilliant. <laughs> well, have a look. Um, let me see. Maybe I can email it right now. Um, so we just need to think of a name. I must have given it some kind of name for now, but I'm sure I can change it. Because isn't it Janeway and Tom Paris's babies? Mm. Shh. <laughs> oh right, yeah. Sorry, I, I didn't actually hear that. Sorry. Uh, no, I mean you'll probably forget. And I started um, looking up Ralph Bakshi on Wikipedia, um, who is okay. not someone likely to sponsor this podcast, but did apparently um, pen a comic called Fritz the Cat. 
Oh, cats. That's a whole separate podcast. <laughs> That's, yeah. Cool. Uh, I bet there's a lot already on them. Yeah. I, I feel we should cease recording before we plan our cat podcast to yes, avoid but I've giving away the, the game. Um, I've emailed you the image, I think. So. Oh, thank you. Have a look. But yeah, that was uh, fun. So it's been a pleasure. Should we stop recording and uh, ah, yes, actually talk about saying. how it went and okay. be rude about Thank our you, audience? Everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks and good night. <laughs> Jenny. Oh, what was Do you want to say thanks and goodbye to the people? Oh right. <laughs> Jenny doesn't feel gratitude to our audience. They need was... they need to be more loyal. I'm sorry, I was looking for your email. <laughs> <laughs> thanks and good night. <laughs>